Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Well, welcome to almost mid-April. Gosh. Remember in the winter when the days would just crawl and now that it's spring, they seem to be speeding up? Must just be my head. April 12th, ladies and gentlemen. It's a, a Monday, a rather dreary one, but spring has sprung and uh, that does just wonders for my my psyche. Um, I did something yesterday that I I don't know that I've ever done before. I uh, uh, I watched about oh, it wouldn't have been three hours. I watched almost three hours of the Masters tournament. That's golf, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, golf, which I find the most boring game. My mother watches golf incessantly. There's uh, there's always a golf game on, and she is always watching it. And I, I realize that the last, you know, the final round of the Masters would be some of the best golf one could see. And I thought, well, what the heck, I'll, I'll watch it. And, and then I got into it. And then I started to think, oh, my God, I'm becoming my mother. But not really, because, I mean, she plays golf. I don't think she's played in the last year. But she's, she was constantly golfing and winning tournaments and you know, just loves that sport. I tried it a few times. She insisted that I had an incredible swing and would be a great golfer. But I just found it so endless and then so cruel. I mean, one minute you're on top of the world because you hit a ball that goes soaring into the sky. You can't even see where it lands straight as an arrow. And the next, you know, you're in the water in a sand trap. You whiff. I don't know. So I, I just couldn't do it. It was not my, not my game. But there I was yesterday, and it was a beautiful day. I kept saying to myself, for God's sake, what are you sitting in here watching a bunch of people hit little white balls around in Augusta, Georgia? Go outside. But I'd been outside, and I thought, no, I'm on, I don't. It was so weird. I really still can't figure out why I, I did it. But I think partly in my head, I was trying to be close to my mom because I knew she was doing it. Because heck, this is the Masters, and you damn well bet you she's doing it and had been doing it since it began. And I, I sort of, you know, you get into the drama that's created and uh for those of you not at all interested uh it was won for the first time by a japanese uh golfer uh matsuyama and he almost blew it right at the end he was so far ahead and then he almost blew it which was i was just a wreck i couldn't even watch at the end um but he did it and I immediately thought, I got to call mom. 
And I looked at the time and I thought, oh, she's probably eating dinner. But what the hell? I got to call mom. So I called. The phone rings and rings and rings and rings. And finally she picks up. I said, mom, you won't believe what I did this afternoon. I'm, I'm becoming you. She laughed. And then I said, I watched the Masters. And she said, oh, who won? I said, who won? You mean you didn't watch? Well, no, I was watching a little bit in the morning, and then now, and I, I have company now, and uh, and I thought, well, screw this. I felt so, you know how you're sure that of what's happening? I was so sure we were going to have this wonderful conversation about <laughs> what, what, <laughs> who won? Jeez, <clears throat> she's watched every Masters for the last, you know, 75 years. Who won? All right, I'm sorry. Uh, speaking of my mother, I will be driving to Green Bay, Wisconsin, a much longer drive than I care to do, but um, I'm doing it so I can take my dog. And uh, this will be the first time I will have been able to give my mom a hug for, um, geez, uh, almost 15 months, which is the longest time in my life and in hers. So I'm, I'm really excited. I'll be leaving. I just got to, this is just some information I got to give you. I got to leave Thursday morning. So we're only going to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday shows this week. But then I intend to just pick up from Green Bay starting on Monday again. So uh, this Thursday show is the only one I'm, I'm, I'm going to be uh, missing. So uh, that's, that's that. Okay. Uh, yes, I'm joining all those fully vaccinated people, you know, desperately trying to reclaim uh, parts of their, of their existence. Oh, I wanted to say that at the end, when this Japanese guy, Matsuyama won, he was very, you know, subdued and a lot's been made of that. Uh, you know, Japanese culture, he's a shy guy, blah, 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 blah. The pressure on him was so intense. But I think the reason when he hit the final putty and that he didn't, you know, like have this huge smile and a triumphant fist in the air like we Americans do um, was because he'd almost blown it. And, and it was a sort of a, a really, uh, he played the last three holes like, really badly <laughs> so i think he was he was really unhappy in a way and then he realized what difference does it make i still did better than anybody else and I won. anyway but when his caddy and I, 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 his caddy who's also japanese 
replaced the flag on the 18th hole, the final act uh, of the tournament. He put it in the hole. He took off his hat and he bowed his head to the pin, I think. And I was blown away by that simple gesture. I don't even know what it meant, except it looked like a gesture of such sort of respect. I don't respect to the game, respect to the whole, I don't know, but you realize that there are cultures, and Japan certainly among them, that have, you know, these these rituals that people adhere to. That it, I mean, to my Western eye, it just it looked like respect, and I, I. I loved it. I, I just, I loved it. And it reminded me of something I'd read, I don't know, maybe a month ago that I had wanted to share with you, but it's a similar thing. And then I, I, I never did, but it had to do with um, another Asian and I think this is a Korean, this is a Korean um, person who had written this. And it was written immediately after the, the horrible murders um, in Atlanta at uh, those massage parlors where so many, I guess it was four women of Korean descent were gunned down. And the person who wrote it was a woman of Korean descent who actually is a, uh, a, a minister at a Presbyterian church in, in, in Maryland. <clears throat> and she was, she was talking about her reaction and how when she first realized so many of her Korean sisters had been killed. She said, I didn't yet know their names, but I mourned them. I mourned them as sister, mother, daughter, aunt. Each of those designations with a capital, daughter, aunt, mother, and then she she explained that in Korea we they, they they don't often call each other by their given names they you are called by your what you are to the others in the family so she was the eldest child in her family, 
And so for as long as, as she could remember, um, that is what she was called, eldest daughter. Her mother called her father Her name is Mihi. Her, her mother called her father Mihi's father. Not his name. Once he became a father, he was Mihi's father. And once, and her father called her mother Mihi's mother. That is how they spoke to each other. And as a, when she was little, she said, why do we, why do you do this? Why don't you call him whatever his name is? Why don't you call her whatever? Why are you doing that through me? <laughs> and her mother explained that who we are is inseparable from who loves us and whom we love. And again, I found that so, so wonderful, really, so wonderful. And it would connect, you know, it solidifies a sense of, yes, family and belonging. And I, I don't know. I love it. You can see why Westerners are often uh, drawn to so many aspects of uh, Asian culture, Asian religion, it is it is unlike our own. There is is no uh, no doubt. So those are just two little thoughts I had. And and actually, that brings me to a a, a, a re book review that I read about a book that it didn't get a great review, but it's um, it's just some of the aspects of what the book is about that I found just fascinating, and it is about how Americans uh, parent their children, and I have harangued American parents ever since I had a microphone in front of me because I think we're just wrong. <laughs> I, do. I think I think we're so wrong about how we parent. Um, and I don't know that there's a right way, but I can tell that whatever the hell it is we're doing is wrong. It's wrong for the parents, especially the mothers, and it's wrong for the kids. Um, this making the child the center of the universe is idiotic, if you ask me. It creates very self-involved, self-important, cosseted children. And the burdens placed on parents to, you know, literally do, I mean, it just do so much for the child, 
supposedly so much for the child. But it's stuff that takes up, I mean, to be a mother in this culture is is burdensome when it should be mostly joyful. So this book that I read the review of was written by a harried American mother who's a, you know, I don't know what, she was a PhD or something, um, extremely, uh, she's a science reporter, that's what she was, for NPR, for God's sake. Um, you know, very successful woman, has one kid, a three-year-old, who's acting up all the time, sounds like a real, sounds like a kid you'd want to write, you know, just throw out the door, frankly. Uh, she, she said that she has tantrums, she slaps, bites, won't put on her shoes. Um, and this, you know, highly capable science reporter mother uh, obviously felt guilt that somehow she wasn't doing it right. So she began looking into other cultures. How, is there something we're doing wrong? Because she, as a, as a science reporter, had, had been around in the world. And she recalled how once when she was covering, I think it was an Ebola out, outbreak um, in somewhere in Africa, I'm not sure where, how she had noted it, that the children that she saw in the cities, in the villages, were incredibly kind and helpful and sweet. And to her, it stood out because they seemed different. They seemed happier than American children. And remembering that, she thought, how about if I go and look at how these other people, not westernized culture, how they raise their children? And so she did. And that's what the book is. But it's so obvious. We've gotten, I mean, it's just like, yeah. She goes to Mexico. She goes to Tanzania. She goes to, uh, I don't know where. She's all over the place. And what she finds is that in these cultures, little children spend time with their mothers and mostly matriarchal stuff, mostly with their grandmothers, their mothers, their aunts. But they are immediately involved, the children are, in whatever it is the mother's doing. So the mothers don't have to think, what can I do to keep her busy, to keep him busy? Because I got to do this. No, the child becomes involved in the cooking, in the cleaning, in the baking, in the uh, hoeing, in the digging, in the planting. The child is with the adults. And the child, you know, chips in because children love to be assistants 
They love to do what the parents are doing. And so as they do that, they are, for them, it's, a, it's play. It's wondrous. But they're also, of course, learning. And the most important thing they're learning is that they are part and parcel of this family unit. And as such, are expected to contribute and be there. One of the things that just blew her away was in a Mayan village uh, in the Yucatan somewhere. She said the children were not only <laughs> not only no trouble, no tantrums, no nothing, but they voluntarily would see that something needed to be done and jump up and did it. So they were aware of all of the things that, tasks that a family does or a household does, and they did not in any way see themselves as a onlooker to this. They were It was something they could do. And the thing is, is the the adults, you know, watched as the kids offered up their help, but they did not intercede much at all, not with high praise. Oh, look how you're doing that. Oh, aren't you smart? Oh, look at a hard work. None of that crap that we do. And none of that, no, that's not the right way. None of that. There's no correction of the child. There was no praise of the child. And eventually, through repetition and doing and watching and observing, the kids develop these truly useful skills. And then, of course, just naturally pitch in because they're part of this functioning family unit. Now, admittedly, that would be a hard thing to do if what your job is is sitting in a chair staring at a computer screen, right? And that's too bad. But if you're making dinner, then the, chi the children should be part of that. So that these kinds of tasks are part of being part of the team. And American parents, I mean, just constantly and needlessly exhaust themselves dreaming up activities, right, for their kids. Where all they have to do is live their normal, productive lives and let the kids come along. Learning as they go. And she also saw in a lot of cultures that when young kids do misbehave, they are not engaged. A child screaming and yelling is not then screamed at 
because the sense is, is that what's the good of that? You scream at them, you teach them to scream. So when children are unruly, they are ignored. And it's the exact thing that you would, of course, do training anything, a dog. If you reward bad behavior by giving your attention to it, you're just creating more bad behavior. You really are, right? And if you just simply walk away, you do that, I'm gone. Why don't we understand this sort of like basic stuff? I, I'm still, you can tell my, 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 I'm still angry. <laughs> I am. I'm still angry from when I became a mom and late in life. I was 44 years old <laughs> when I became a mom and I was a single mom, a single mom working two jobs, I had a job in television at the time. And I had a job in radio did a three-hour radio show. I was on the television. It was ridiculous. It was too much, even without a little baby. But I was able to, uh, you know, hire somebody to be with my child uh, when I was at work. And that didn't last all that long. It lasted long enough. But she died untimely, appalling death. Oh, God, I still can't believe it. And I never replaced her. And my son was still very young. And that's when I quit television. And that's when I tried to get my schedule down so that I could do it. But what I saw became enraged about was the expectation of what I, as a mother, would do for my son. And I found out it was like, you did his friggin' homework. You sat down and you did his homework. And my reaction was, what am I, why should I do his homework? That's his homework. I'm not doing his homework. And you should be, and I should be enrolling him in this thing and that thing and the other thing, which would make my life insane. So I'd go from work to racing around, oh, and not let him out of the house to run over to some other kid's house. My kid walked by himself to the school when he was in kindergarten. It was two blocks from my house. I see parents now walk their kids, in the same neighborhood, walk their kids to the bus stop. They're there to greet the kid when they get off the bus. What the hell? What are we doing here? What is it we're afraid of? Why won't we let kids have a measure of control in their lives and navigate it and learn and become independent? God, I hate this stuff. I go nuts. I'm sorry. I should stop. I ju I'll just stop. I'll just stop. 
but I'll never, I got one more because, and I've told it, but I'll never get over it. What was it? Third grade or fourth grade science experiment or science, what do they call those things where you do a science project? I didn't, I'm sorry. I never, I, no, it's not my job. I'm not the one in school. So there was like an open house and I went into the science class and there were all the kids work, their charts and stuff like that. And I couldn't believe what I saw. <laughs> I could not believe what I saw because there was no way I was looking at a third or fourth graders work. There was no way it was a third or fourth graders work. Until you came to my kids. There was a third and fourth graders work. And it looked like crap next to all the others. And I was enraged by his humiliation. And I was enraged that the school knowingly let parents do their kids work. And then graded them, essentially. And the kids who actually did their own, of course. I mean, they're little kids. They didn't, you know, didn't measure up. I've never gotten over it. So my anger at all the parents that do this crap and make their kids, they're not helping their kids. I have a friend who's very much in the same, thinks the same way as I do. And her kids were a little older. And she was a great source of, I, when I would say to her, but, you know, I'm not doing his homework for him, but he, now he's not doing it either. What am I supposed to do? She said nothing. How is he going to learn about consequences if he, and you know what? She was right. You don't cover for them. You don't run interference for them. Unless you want to create a hobbled, needy human, which I don't think is the idea of parenthood. Just saying. Okay, I'll stop. I'll just stop. But I think we see. No, I won't. <laughs> I think I see the result. And we see the result in all these snowflakey, have-to-be-given-trigger-warning kids that are now in their 20s and 30s. And I'm sick of it. Look what we created. A bunch of self-involved, snowflakey, they're not strong people. They're constantly bitching and whining and moaning. I, I don't like them. Sorry. Okay. Uh, what we got here? No one wants to talk about what I'm talking about. I don't blame you. Okay. Uh, Roger writes two things. First, thanks for cluing me into Obama's whistles when he says S's. 
I'm sorry, and I'll never do it again, because now Roger writes, I'm still enjoying him and Bruce Springsteen in Spotify's Renegade podcast, but it is now distracting. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I can't do it. It's a, he whistles. His S's whistle. And they always did. I mean, they did try. And I, I, it, I love the guy. But the whistle, I don't know what. It hurts my ear. I can't listen. Okay, second, Roger says. Did you watch CBS Morning? No. Interview with John Boehner. He said current Republicans have no platform that they're standing on except saying no. Well, what's he been doing, listening to my show? They have none. That's why they didn't even bother writing a platform last time around. He said that Trump was a result of extremists, beginning with the Tea Party, who are unwilling to negotiate and that compromise is a sign of weakness. All true, all true, all true. But I do have to say this. You know, Boehner was a part of that transition. He didn't like it. He didn't like these little Tea Party creeps. Um, but... I mean, I don't know. I didn't think of him as somebody who was like standing up and calling him out or anything. Oh, I've got callers. I didn't even realize that. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. I got two of you, so I'm not sure. Go ahead. Hello. Hello. I ended up calling Hi. back because she said, nobody wants to talk about what I'm talking about. I said, well, let me try calling back. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting there holding, I was sitting there holding, switching what I was going, you know, my points as you were going on. It's like, I'm going to stop mm -hmm. and then we go to something else. And I went, oh, yeah, that's a good point. But the last one you said about the, uh, well, first I was, I was calling because I was going to compare, you know, the raising of child to like, you know, training a dog. You know, but you said that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think I said, so she got that. I said, you know, that you can go to uh, the dog whisperer and learn. That's exactly what they what you do when you're doing, you know, you're dealing with a dog. Right. But then you ended up with the uh, uh, triggered kids. Oh. But the same thing happens on the other side. You know, the entitled people walking around yeah. carrying guns and, and shooting people because yeah. <laughs> they're entitled yeah. to have a certain lifestyle and they're not getting it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like on the other side of it, that's the same, you know, it's a left and right version of the same creation. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Of the yeah. same screwed up, yeah. screwed up, self-important, uh, self-centered American yeah, we're yeah, just yeah. kids. Well, they're, yeah, like, they're now they're adults. They're like in their twenties and thirties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's it. That's, those those are the ones, you know. Because I, as you were talking about your son, I'm thinking, and I bet you he's well balanced. <laughs> he's a balanced. Oh, kid. I mean, he's totally totally independent. My God, yeah. I don't know. Totally <laughs> independent, and uh, yeah, because yeah. he fended for himself. I mean, as a a child of a single parent, you end up doing more of that. And yeah. as an only child, I guess you probably do too. But God, all of this racing around, doing for them, getting them here, getting them there. I look at these parents and I think you are, well, you know, they're in a race with their, with the other parents. It's, it's this un, unbelievable peer pressure. 
There was, because uh, as you were talking, I said, because I was bringing up pets, and then you were talking about the children's. Uh, pets and children have become accessories to, to who you are. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Even pets have become accessories. They're not no longer yeah. pets. You know, I'm like, whoa. No. You know, people walking around with their designer dogs, and it's like, what the heck? And they even call them my 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 my, my, my four legged child or something, yeah. and they treat them that way. It's why it's a it's a huge industry. We are some sick people. We got a sick culture. And I have a dog who I love to mm -hmm. death, and I know you love your dog. Oh, Drew, 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 Drew was my Drew. dog. I have a that that dog has not been matched. I have a. Aww, I'm, 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 I'm gonna have. I'm, I'm gonna be baby or puppy sitting my nephew's dog when they go on vacation next month. And um, and it's a puppy, and you know, and of course, Whoa. I told him. I told him <laughs> it's a German Shepherd mix. I said, you know, when this dog gets big, I'm not taking it because <laughs> yeah, I know them. You know what I mean? It's like it's, it's this cute puppy. It's like this German Shepherd mix. Well, well I'm having a problem house training anymore, Clarence. I said, you know, when you guys come on vacation and come back, I'll have them house trained. I said, but <laughs> with you guys, I said, when you guys. When that dog gets big, I'm not taking him. I'm warning you. You you better take care of this dog. <laughs> you know. So yeah, but that that's it. You know, the, the boy, one of the boys, one of the puppy, and he got him a puppy. I said, why don't you give him like a beagle? But you know. <laughs> well, yeah. I yeah. God help you for being the one that I have not house trained a puppy in I don't know how long. I have not gotten a puppy. Whatever puppy I got the last one time around did me in. So I've always gone to grown, grown dogs. See, I have, this, I have this friend. She used to manage Washington Area uh, Humane Society. You know, and yeah. she taught me how to do this stuff. She's like really, really good with animals. You know, but it, it takes time. You can't be, you know, if I was somebody working eight hours a day, I wouldn't be able to do it. You literally, it, it takes it takes a yeah. lot of time. You basically have to spend a, a few days just sitting there watching your dog. <laughs> watching their actions and all this kind of good stuff and being ready, you know, being ready to take the dog outside, you know, yeah, you, yeah. you have to sense, you have to know the dog, the way, you know, the way the dog acts. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, right. Yeah. Well, unbelievable. Well, I'm sorry. I kept you hanging so long, but because, you know, I wasn't mind. You know, I can still listen while I'm, while I'm hanging on. But when you said, <laughs> she said that, Oh, nobody wants to talk what I'm talking about. I'm like, Oh my goodness. I'm sitting here waiting. <laughs> So the, the other call dog. might also be me too. So. <laughs> oh, it might be. We'll see. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Clarence. You're welcome. Thank you. Hey, okay. Bye. 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 Hello. Is there another call, or is uh, is this Clarence too? Hello. Hello? Not Clarence. It's not Clarence. No. It's not Clarence I'm... too, or either. <laughs> Or either. Hey, Lynn, you were talking about kids. Yeah. And I, I remember when you got off the plane at the airport and TAE television was there to greet you. I think Sally Wiggins interviewed you when you had Sam. No, they weren't there when I got off at the airport. They, they came. No, um, I, but Sally did do a piece. Um, shortly after I came back, yes, from Bolivia, she did a piece <laughs> on me. Yeah, and Sam. All right. Well, something else. You were earlier. You were talking about respect. Yeah. 
I spent time working at uh, Bell Telephone, and we had this we had this big meeting, and they were talking about calls and you know blah blah blah. And my supervisor turned to me and said, "What do you think about when you think respect?" And I said, "Aretha Franklin." Yeah. <laughs> everybody in the room, everybody in the room broke up. Well, it's a good answer. I mean, it's probably yeah. You hear the word respect, R E S P E C T. Sure. Yeah, so everybody in the room breaks up laughing. But you ever hear of uh, if looks could kill? Yes. Oh, that was yes. Okay. Well. Yeah. So my supervisor looked at me like I'm I'm a dead man. <laughs> Meanwhile, everybody's having a good time. They yeah. couldn't handle it. That that place was so stuck up. I mean, it, it was ridiculous atmosphere. Everybody was, you know, don't do this, don't do that, blah, blah, blah. So I came up with the Reza Franklin, and they went, oh, no. That's corporate America at its worst, huh? No you got fun, that right. just rules, right? Oh, God. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All well, right, that's all I got. Bye-bye. Okay, bye, bye-bye. And uh, let's see, Milton saying... You haven't mentioned this, so I'm not sure if you got to see it. No, I didn't, and I intended to. Why did I forget? If not so, please. It was a well-produced biography as well as a touching tribute. Um, and this was a, a PBS show, American Masters, on um, a guy who I just thought was the greatest, Oliver Sacks. Um, yeah, Oliver Sacks. So thank you for sending me the, the link. <laughs> I'll watch it now. I will. What did I do that I got? I can't remember, but I, you know, I often, I, I tell myself in the morning when I see what might be on TV, you got to watch that. And then by the time the evening comes, I can't remember. Um, Chuck writes that SNL did a parody on Saturday of Obama and Springsteen's podcast. I was hoping they would include the whistle in the impersonation. No, nobody does. You know, a lot of people impersonate him. He's easy, I think, although I can't impersonate anybody. Um, but they don't, they, I don't know why most, nobody picks up on the whistle. <laughs> oh, God. And, um, and I'm sorry about that because it, what I did to, was it Rod, Roger? Um, you know, when you point out something that is annoying to you that other people have not noticed and then they notice it. I mean, it's happened to me, too, where someone will say, God, do you believe this? And then all of a sudden, that's all you can see or hear. We should probably keep these little peeves of ours to ourselves. Uh, Chuck also writes, I find the Boehner interviews very interesting. There was a time when the sight of him made me nauseous, but I'm finding him more palatable in these interviews. I think being Speaker of the House transformed him into a person he didn't recognize anymore. I think he began drinking heavily. He got the point to the point where he hated himself and his thankless job. Well, at least that speaks well of him. Uh, <laughs> no. I mean, you can recognize in him like a human being. 
which is more than you can say for somebody like, I mean, I can start naming names here, uh, but a lot of Republicans now, you cannot identify what seems to be, uh, you know, the kind of human qualities <laughs> that we share and that, you know, we're, we're, we're drawn to. Oh, dear. There's so much to talk about. And as usual, I'm not quite sure where to go. Um, this new Minneapolis police shooting. Uh, they've killed another young black man, 20 years old. Stopped him in his car. And he's dead. They stopped him in his car. The reason being, I mean, you, did you hear this? I mean, I can't even, I can't even process this. This is 10 miles, uh, a suburb of uh, Minneapolis. Um, and this happened in the afternoon. He was stopped. It's the reason he was stopped in the first place that just blew me away. He was stopped because, is this true? I mean, I'm, I'm literally looking at the story again because I think, I can't believe it, what I read. Um, no, now I'm not seeing it. Um, oh, darn it, is, is what I thought. This is it. Here it is. Um, the father of the victim said police pulled him over because an air freshener was allegedly blocking his rear view mirror you got to be kidding me you got to be kidding me you know a lot of people and i have noticed more black people hang these air fresheners from the yeah right right i don't like the smell of them so i, I wouldn't myself um why would so if you're a young black man and you got an air freshener hanging from your, that is enough reason for cops to stop you? And then it complicates it a little more. When they stopped it, ran his license and stuff, they found that there was an outstanding warrant. Now, I don't know what it was for. But what the, I mean, what the hell? The ACLU immediately called for uh, a, an investigation by an outside agency. And it, it says, you know, what the ACLU said is exactly what my just dumbfounded reaction was. Is the ACLU statement is we have concerns 
the police appear to have used dangling air fresheners as an excuse for making a pretextual stop. That's not something that happens to white ladies like me. A pretextual stop, something police do to target black people. He was headed to the car wash. Unbelievable. I'm so sick of it. And then there was that horrific thing, which I think happened last year, but finally got um, uh, video came out. I'm I'm not sure if this was in uh, Virginia of a uh, of a soldier in in his, you know, his uniform also stopped apparently because you couldn't see his they couldn't see his back license plate which was there he'd done nothing and he ended up guns drawn on him terrorized he actually said with his hands up to the cops of course black of course he's black um they said get out And he said, I'm afraid to get out. Yeah, he should have been. He's alive, but he was pepper sprayed and terrorized. And as far as I know, he's never charged with a damn thing. And I saw in today's paper that he's he's suing the cops. And the cop who pepper sprayed him has been fired. What is with these police? Now that they know we're all watching. Incredible. I, it just makes me it makes me want to scream. And then I happened to see that some poor guy who stole two shirts in Louisiana. has finally been released from jail. You know how much time he did for stealing two shirts. Black man, okay, stealing two shirts, black man. And he had a few other, like, stealing two shirt kind of things. He was not like a violent offender, but he had done some shoplifting before and uh, stuff like that. So, you know, what they gave him for the two shirts, which were recovered immediately. 20 years. I'm looking at a picture of him. They just let him out. He served the full 20 years for two shirts. It's unbelievable. 
I think I have a caller. Caller, hello. Go ahead. Hi, Lynn. It's Dave from Washington. Dave from Washington. I just emailed you 10 seconds ago, so just ignore that because I called you instead. The um, air freshener hanging from the rearview mirror. Yes. That's because they smoke pot in the car. It's a thing they do. I don't know why. Well, it's a thing that oh. they do. So cops see that. Ah, they've got marijuana in the car. They pull them over. Whether that's a good reason to shoot them or not, that's a different story. But that's what the air conditioner or the air freshener is all about. Um, the Army guy who got pulled over and maced put me on his jury. I'm going to award him $100 only. Nothing more. He could have solved that problem in 10 seconds by getting out of the car. They didn't charge him with anything because he didn't do anything wrong. So they would have taken him out, done whatever, put him back in the car and let him drive off. And this whole thing would have been avoided. Now, that does not mean that they should shoot him in the eyes with me. But you have to. They had guns drawn on him. I get out of the car. That's all and, he has to do. And you get shot. You're a black well, guy. Not if you, well, no, I, well, if you fight and you argue, yeah, you're going to get shot. You get out of the car and you put your hands on the side of the car, you're not going to get shot. You get shot when the tensions rise by refusing to do what they say to do. Remember the people a couple of months ago, um, the woman thought that the kid had her phone? Yeah. And that got big and ugly because they wouldn't show her the phone? That could have been resolved in 10 seconds. All they had to do is say, look, baby, this isn't your phone. Boom. No issue. That's all they had to do was show her the phone. And the situation is over. And then she can go on and become a little fool and you know somewhere else. But that situation is resolved instantly. All this guy had to do was get out of the car. They would not. But you do him. understand. You I, do understand why a black man in that position. Yes, I do. And that's also why he drove to a safe space, a safe spot. They pulled him up. They originally the lights went on about a mile down the road. And, I, he and he got to I a gas by. station. Yeah, right. He, got he drove to nice station. and slowly to it. I don't know if he turned his blinker, you know, his flashes on or whatever, but he went to where he felt safe. And he's, you know, just hold your hands up, get out, lean against the side of the car, let them do their thing. Yes, it's humiliating. Yes, it's demeaning and it's wrong, but it is better than what happened. So that does not give them the right to shoot the guy in the eyes with mace. So I'm going to rule in his favor, but because he escalated the situation, I'm only going to give him a hundred bucks. Okay. Well, I would give him more and he did get something accomplished. He got rid of that cop. Well, that even cop that's, not, doesn't have a job. Well, even that's not, even but that cop that escalated. Well, they that cop it. escalated. You know what? They're going to ruin your day. If a cop tells you to do something, whether they are right or wrong, they're going to ruin your day. Now, at the end, you may win. But, man, your day is ruined. You are screwed. You just got shot in the eyes with mace. And if that's the worst that happens to you, that's a good day for refusing to do what a cop tells you to do. Cops can be entirely wrong. And you could be one cop telling right me to get up. Yeah, but when they say get out of the car, are there guns drawn on you? I Doesn't mean, matter. I would I give a fuck. Get out I of the car. Please. Get out uh. of the car.
Man. You think you're going to win by sitting in the car? Do you think you're going to, in the end, they're going to say, all right, sir. Well, a black man ahead, will say you don't, win, you don't win either way. I mean, I well, can give you a list of names. Johnny Gamage. Okay, I understand right all of that. Okay, I understand all of that. They are not going to improve their situation by saying no to the cop. They are going to lose. You are going to lose if you say no to a cop. You can be 100% right and still end up dead. Get out of the car. They tell you to lay down, lay down. Sue them later on. As long as you walk out of there alive, you can still sue them. But when you say no to a cop and the, the tension rises, you stand a far greater chance of getting, you know, ending up in far worse shape than just getting maced. That's my whole thing about this. I'll give the guy right, but I'm Get out of the car. I'm going to argue that the real answer here is to train police always well, to de-escalate. Absolutely. Instead absolutely. of escalate, all they do is escalate. So the next time this happens, okay, well, I'll tell you what, sir. I'll get off here. First, you go take this training and then come back and we'll, we'll resolve this situation. That does nothing to resolve the situation as it's happening. Yes, I agree with you. Cops need to learn how to handle these things better. But when that situation arises, you are going to lose. If you do not. And what was his, but I don't understand though. I'm serious. I'm, hang on here. Yeah. He was pulled over. Why? Because well, they, put, they, didn't they have thought a he didn't. Have, he did. Right. He did. Right. So once yeah. they see that he did, they don't say, I'm sorry, sir. We thought we, we thought you didn't have a rear license plate. How, when, when their initial reason for pulling them right. over turns out to be bullshit. Right. Do you get to guns drawn, get out of the car? Because things have huh? already gotten out of hand. Things have already gotten out of hand. You, I, you get out of the car. They say, you don't have license plates. They say, yes, I do, sir. Look, go, go, go look. There's license plates. Cop in the back says, yeah, hey, there's license plates here. All right, sir, we're sorry. Get back in your car and go home, please. Do you think you're I going to sit in the car and say no to a cop, and in the end they're going to say, okay, I don't because see you're right. Please right. go home. It's not going to happen. I'm not sure we agree on this. I, I think if you're a black man in a car and you get stopped by white fucking cops, uh, you're in danger no matter what the hell you do. You can stay, I don't you can get out. I don't disagree. But you're not, you're, you're, the, you're escalating. It got to the point where it's no longer about the guy's license plates. It's about this guy will get out of the car. And no, it's about this guy disrespecting him. This fine, black guy disrespecting Do you think him. sitting there is going to resolve that? The idea is to re to resolve the situation. The long-term goal is police reform. But at that exact incident, that moment, the most important thing was to Who defuse the situation. But, I, Dave, I'm just saying that if once, if, if, if the reason for his being in the police, you know, where the police had him, was clearly a mistake. Yeah. Then the people who should have de-escalated were the cops. Everybody involved had the responsibility to, de to de de-escalate the situation. The cops Everybody more than this poor guy. involved. Okay, well the cops didn't do it, so then it's then it's the guy's job. The, you know, it's simple. It would have been over. It would have been over in two seconds. We would not know anything about this. The guy and the girl with the with the cell phone. None of us would know anything about this because there would not have been an incident. The only reason why there is is because they refuse to help defuse the situation.
So All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> Nothing's ever that simple. Okay, you. All right. Thank All you. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. I think we have one more caller. Can we squeeze someone in here? Hello? 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 Hello, yeah. I'll make it quick. Um, I agree the profiling with blacks is terrible, but I know of a situation where a person had tinted windows. They pulled him over. It was a white guy. He didn't get out right away. He was getting his license out. They pulled their guns. They yanked him out of that car, threw him on the ground, and his head against the thing, and they said, why didn't you get out of the car? And that's just how it is. The guy's right. And this is from the cops, because I have brothers who are cops. you got to listen to the cops. If you don't listen to the cops, you're shit out of luck. You really are. You have to obey them. You do. But I agree that this profiling, these cops are terrible. Some of them, these were terrible cops, too. They don't use common sense anymore when they do that. They just go right to the, you know, the gun or whatever. Yeah, no, they're, 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 I don't see, personally, I get my backup. I don't like some bully boy with a gun and a badge, you know, that I have to kowtow. I don't, do you think of what we call police when you were a little kid? What were they called? That the police officers were also peace officers. And you look on their cars and it says to serve and protect. And none of that, none of that is what's going on with these kind uh, of cops. No, it's, and I think they don't pay enough money. And I don't. it's so dangerous. They get the bottom of the barrel. I really think that, especially local cops, a lot of them, it's terrible. You get in like a state police and that, it's a little better caliber, I think. They're trained. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I see cops now and I don't have the the sense I used to have anymore. I look at them and it's good. Well, I mean, there's good. I'm not so far gone that I won't say they're good people who are cops who do the right thing, who save lives. Yeah, there are. who, Who do their job. But man, there are way too many of these racist, militaristic assholes. And there's too many police chiefs and departments that that, that's all they're about. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay. Um, I think that's it. A little bit over time. Oh, I could do another pee. There's a guy with a leaf blower in my yard. I hate it. I was listening to the birds, and now there's a deafening frigging, I hate them. I hate it. It's hard being me because there's so many things that enrage me. Not good for my blood pressure. I think I'll go take some deep breaths and maybe do a little meditation and try to get a little more, I don't know, calm down. And uh, I'll look forward to uh, seeing you guys again tomorrow, okay? Have a good one. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.